0: Do you ever find that running a business is like giving one pitch after another? When you stop and think about it, as entrepreneurs, we are constantly pitching potential and existing customers, community stakeholders, and maybe even investors. So as intimidating as pitching an editor at Forbes or the Huffington Post may be, you're already doing it to some extent in other parts of your business. Landing those dreamy media opportunities can do so many many great things for your business. It can help you establish more street cred, grow your following, and most importantly, create more awareness and demand for your products and services. These are all reasons why it's more than worth your time to figure out how to successfully pitch yourself or your business to the media. The question is, what's the difference between a knockout pitch and 1,000 other pitches that find their way into the trash? Well, in today's episode, I am chatting with the ever-delightful Crystal Richard of Crystal Richard & Co., and she is going to tell you exactly how she gets her clients into publications like Forbes magazine. Crystal is a delight to chat with, a wealth of knowledge, and I think you're going to find her story pretty inspiring too. Without further ado, let's find out how you can DIY your way into Forbes magazine today. You're listening to the Workshop Weekly Podcast,
1: the show where no dream is too big and no topic is too small. Around here, we believe that taking imperfect action rules. So we're creating space for you to dive in and fast track your success one workshop at a time. Now, refill your coffee cup, grab your notebook, and get ready to join in on your weekly training, listen to meaningful conversation,
0: and learn from industry experts. Here's your host, Kelly Lawson. Hi, Crystal. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to talk to you today in this capacity. Thank you for having me. I'm so pumped. Oh my goodness. Crystal, you're just like a ray of sunshine in my life. I know that we're going to get started here and wish that we had six hours to talk, but we won't do that. I've known you for a while now, but I don't know if I've ever asked you this question. And the question is. How did you come to be the PR amazing guru that you are today? What was your oh, journey like?
1: Oh, my goodness. The fun fact that some people might not realize is that I have absolutely no formal education when it comes to PR. I actually started university in marine biology, which is Not surprising if you know me that I was starting out trying to save the whales and and swim with dolphins for a living, but I quickly in university realized that after doing some summer internships with Department of Fisheries and Oceans that most marine biology career paths in Canada were either in a lab or in the freezing parts of our country on boats with isolation pay and, and not as glamorous as if I were living in, say, Monterey Bay and working at that aquarium. So I quickly pivoted and took psychology and business instead and that's kind of around the same time that digital marketing really started. Facebook only came out my last year of university. YouTube I don't think was even in our textbooks yet at the time and so I really became fascinated with this whole online world and the possibility to almost create your own career. So after I graduated from university, I did one short stint in Las Vegas, which some people don't know about me either. I lived and worked there for one summer, came back to Canada, thought I've got this university degree. I've got, you know, I traveled, I did my thing, everything's going to happen now. And I wound up living in my parents' house at, you know, 25, 26 years old, no job, no money, wondering where I went wrong. So I... Did what I had to do. I took a job. I ended up being a responsible gambling counselor, which many people do not know about me. I did not know that. I know. I'm telling you. I got all the secrets. The casino opened here in Moncton. I had worked in Vegas. I had a psychology degree. I had worked on this marketing campaign about responsible gambling. So I somehow convinced them to hire me as a responsible gambling coordinator and counselor. And I started this side hustle on the side. I had a friend that had a property management company and I said, Hey, you need a Facebook page. You should pay me to run it. And so I started this little social media management company, still no clue what I was doing. Really looking back, I found myself getting pulled into this world of doing a little bit of freelance work. And that eventually led me to getting hired at an agency as the director of PR. And I, I, self-taught a lot. I had mentors that I learned from, but a lot of it was just keeping up with the times and following what people were doing online. That's the beautiful thing with the internet now. A lot of us can be self-taught and learn our own tricks of the trade. And so that's kind of how my PR journey began. I It's morphed from an interest in digital marketing to always having a love of storytelling. I was telling stories when I was a little girl writing literally you know, horror movie screenplays on a typewriter. It was pretty much what started around circa 1997. And I thought, if I can tell other people's stories for a living and help make them famous, how cool would that be? And so that's really where it started. And, you know, next thing I knew about almost five years later, I had my own global PR company.
0: Oh my goodness. I love that. I find these stories are the most inspiring stories that exist on planet earth because you set out to be a marine biologist and you fast forward a few years and you find yourself an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur, and we're going to get to that. A serial entrepreneur running a successful PR agency. And I know that you've got clients like all over the world. So this is amazing. And it's just a testament to you as like a self-driven learner, but also to the resources that are available on the internet today. Like myself, I went to school to be an occupational therapist, and now I am a photographer and an educator. And I just think that these are the most inspiring stories. So here's what I want you to talk about now, because I just hit on the fact that you're a serial entrepreneur. At what point did you realize that you are an entrepreneur? Because that's deep in our veins, right? You don't just wake up one day and go, oh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur today. Like that's something that I think everybody has somewhere inside. When did you realize that that was inside of you?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I was with an agency about three or four, I would say almost four years at this point, still no interest in being an entrepreneur. I worked at startups. I worked with other entrepreneurs and i the whole idea seemed terrifying to me that as an entrepreneur, I'd be responsible for my paycheck. There wasn't formal benefits and EI and things like that. So it never dawned on me that I would want that until I would say about a year before I went out on my own, I kind of wanted to create something that was my own. I was around a lot of creators. So that's when I started my travel brand East Coast Mermaid. It started out, I was at the beach in May. I had this idea. What if I had this blog and I would talk about coastal tales and things like that. So I started that, I bought the domain, I paid $400 for a logo on 99 designs at the time, which just about sickened me because I can't believe I spent that much money. And I was complaining about it at a dinner party with my friends. And they said, okay, well, what if you put that logo on a tank top and sold it to your family and friends, and maybe you could make some of the $400 back? Like Worst case scenario, you make $200 and you pay for half the logo. So I thought, okay, I could do that. So knowing nothing about, you know, having a clothing line or anything, I asked around, I went to a print shop, I got these tank tops printed. And I started just selling them to friends and family. And they started using the hashtag. And then I had strangers messaging me on Instagram saying, Hey, I saw this East Coast mermaid thing. I want one. And I kid you not, I met this family from Ontario that was originally from here. They were coming through New Brunswick on vacation to PEI and going to a bunch of places. I met them in a McDonald's parking lot. And she bought three tank tops. And so all of these strangers started buying them. And I thought okay, this, this wasn't part of the plan. I didn't think mm-hmm. actual people would want to buy this. And so I think that was the defining moment that I kind of got a taste for it and thought, I get to call the shots. I control all of this. There's no red tape. I make the decisions. And it wasn't that long after, I think it was the next, that following, this was in the summer, by that January, I knew in my core that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I wrote in my year planning that by the end of that year, I would be an entrepreneur And within about two months of writing that, I was incorporating my first company. And then less than six months later, I was incorporating my second company, which became my coastal apparel company, Sandy Toast Shop.
0: Amazing. So you have two apparel shops and a PR agency, and you're a travel blogger. Am I missing anything there? Well, just one apparel. Yeah.
1: One apparel, one coastal apparel, one PR company and travel blogger. Yeah. Okay.
0: So now (laughs) it begs the question. It begs the question, how do you manage all of that and still have life balance? I know this is off script, but I need to know how you manage all of that and still have a balanced life.
1: Calendar blocking. Calendar blocking is everything. I fought it for the longest time. When I used to hear successful entrepreneurs talking about calendar blocking, I thought that sounded really sad and depressing. You know, I thought I shouldn't have to schedule a date night. I shouldn't have to schedule time with my family. But the thing is, is it doesn't actually have to be that sad. You can just say, Friday nights are blocked off. I'm cooking homemade pizza with my fiance. And on Saturday mornings, we go to the market. I just make sure that whatever I do, I have it scheduled. So I know how much client work I have every week. All of my clients are based on retainers. So I know how many hours they get each month. So those are non-negotiable on the calendar. And then I book everything else around that. For Sandy Toes in the summer when I know we have markets. I make sure if I know that I'm going to need to be loading the car and getting inventory ready for a Sunday market that that's penciled in. And so you can still be flexible and you can still have balance. You just move things around based on when you need to be doing them. But by having your non-negotiables, which include client work and time with family and friends, it helps keep a little bit more structure if you have it on a calendar, I find.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I find too, like as women, sometimes we have a little difficulty saying no to things. And having that calendar excuse is really helpful to just be like, sorry, I'm not going to have time. My calendar is booked. So it's a really great defense mechanism, I guess, too, in the sense that you're not going to be able to say yes to everything, right?
1: Yeah. And my relationship with no has really improved since last year. I've gotten better at saying no. And sometimes it's as simple as just saying, no, I'm really focused on my PR company right now, or no, I'm really focused on getting ready for the summer season with Sandy Toes. And it's okay to say no, but I fought that for a really long time. I wanted to say yes to everybody. If someone invited me to an event, I felt bad if I didn't go. And now I'm at this good place where I'm okay saying, you know, not this time, maybe
0: next time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because if you're saying no now, then you're able to say yes to something more amazing later, right? Exactly. I love it. 100%. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about mindset because you are definitely one of those people in my life that is like powerfully positive <laughs> all the time. And it, like you definitely radiate positive energy and not everybody has that gift, but you do. So I want you to talk a little bit about whether or not you believe that mindset plays an important role in your work.
1: Absolutely. I think one of the biggest Themes of my life is doing things I didn't necessarily know how to do, but I just convinced myself I could do them. So, case in point, I don't have a PR degree. I didn't go to do the PR programs in Nova Scotia that a lot of people assume I have. I didn't go to Mount St. Vincent. I just really wanted something, so I convinced myself that I was going to get it and make it happen regardless. And I think that is one of the biggest, whether you want to call it the power of the universe, whether you want to call it positive mindset. I think we're only able to achieve the things that we believe we can do. So if I constantly say, you're going to make this happen, nine out of 10 times, it often happens. The other big component of that, though, is reflection and gratitude. So I use the Daniel LaPorte Desire Map Planner. I swear by it, and I will write down intentions for the wildest things. Sometimes they don't happen, but I still put them down on paper, and I still reflect back on them. And it's funny because sometimes I'll write them down and they'll happen you know, six months later, like, Oh, Oh, that did still happen. It just took a little bit longer with gratitude. I think that helps keep your mindset because I've had times where I thought I had a really bad week or I thought I had a bad month. And then when I looked back through that planner on all of the positive things that happened that month, I'm like, Oh, that was actually a really like amazing month. And it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought. So I think by being appreciative of the little things every day and keeping track and writing those things down, it just helps you have a more positive overall attitude about everything.
0: Yeah, I love that. And is there things that you do sort of daily to remind yourself of like, you know, do you do positive affirmations or do you just kind of think them like in passing or like, is there any structure around this for you?
1: It's not really, I think it's just if I need a pick me up, I'll have a pick me up. I'll tell myself something. You're unstoppable is one of the biggest things I chant a lot. It was my word of the year two years ago. And I continue to say that to this day. Whenever I have those moments where things are uncertain, I'll be like, you're unstoppable. This is going to be fine. I think also just keeping tokens around you that make you really happy. You have personal experience witnessing how much I love picking sea glass. So I'll always have little pieces of sea glass around. And if I'm just having a bad day, I'll just think back to those moments when I found that perfect piece or photographs family, friends, all that stuff, having that around me, that just helps me transport me to a better place and a happy place if I need that little pick-me-up. But I think it's, yeah, it's just surrounding yourself with positivity. It sounds crazy, whether that means a crystal in your pocket, in your office every morning, having essential oils going, just do make sure your environment is the one that you need to succeed and to manifest your wildest dreams.
0: I want to interrupt for a quick sec to tell you about a product that I've recently come across. I have never been a fan of wearing pantyhose. Most of the time, after one wash, they would pill and tear, and honestly, it always just felt like an enormous waste of money to own them. Then came Sheertex, the strongest pantyhose in the world, delivered right to my door in the cutest little box. Their fibers don't exist anywhere else on the market. They actually miniaturize the fibers used in bulletproof to create a knit just as strong as the people who wear them. You basically have to be Hulk to rip these things. And they have quickly converted me into a person that raves endlessly about my shears. I don't want you to miss out. So head over to kellylawson.ca slash Sheertex, S-H-E-E-R-T-E-X, and use the code KELLYSLawson10 to save 10% on your new pair of shears today. So we have a home office at home and I share it with Jeff. And only recently I was like, do you realize I haven't been in that home office in like a year? And it's because it is hideous. And I just, anyway, and so Jeff so graciously agreed to like gut it and we're going to redo it and make it a nice environment that I can work in. But it's so true. Your environment really really matters. Okay. I'm going to change gears a little bit because you are a PR specialist and that's another reason why you're here today. And you, in your words, and I love it, you said you make your clients famous. And so I'd love it if you could talk a little bit about why that's important. Many of the listeners for this show would be new in business or maybe not so new in business, but really just kind of learning some of these marketing concepts right now and how to grow and improve their business. So can you speak a little bit to the importance of PR coverage in a business?
1: For sure. So the big thing with PR coverage, it gets you fans, it gets you customers, it gets you brand awareness. But I think the biggest thing and the biggest ROI, which is a question that comes up often, what is the ROI on PR is credibility. So there's a lot of companies out there now and everyone has a website, everyone has a Facebook page. I know personally, the minute someone tells me about a company, the first thing I look at is where they've been covered. If I see that a publication that I absolutely love and adore or trust has written about them positively, absolutely, I'm going to work with them. It's almost the same as influencers. If I see that one of my favorite influencers is repping that product, it's that level of that person has clearly vetted this and they're loving it, so I'm going to love it too. Same thing with media coverage. Every time you get an awesome piece of media coverage, that's a logo that you can put on your website. It's an article that you can share in sales emails. You can share it on your social channels. You can show people, look, here's this big publication Forbes. They did a feature on us. How cool is that? And it just adds that little sparkle to any conversation you're having that if someone big like that has taken the time to write about you when there are so many other companies they could have written about, you're obviously doing something right. So that is one of the biggest things because there's a lot of competition out there. The second is really people buy from people they like. So if they can read an interview with you in a media publication and get to know you and get to know your story, so many of us have this incredible story that no one knows about. But when you share it with the media, that's a chance to get that story out there and your potential customers read about it. They connect with you and next thing they know, they're buying from
0: you. I love that. And I know that you have had some, I mean, you always do, but lately you've had some really big wins for some of your clients. Can you talk a little bit about any of those? Maybe an example or two?
1: Yeah. So one of my clients, Dr. Ashley out of Halifax, she just got in New York magazines, the strategist section talking about multivitamins, which was really cool. I've had clients, I've had multiple clients get Forbes features, which are, that's like a rite of passage, I think, for any startup. When you get your big feature in Forbes, that's such an exciting moment. I've had clients lately that have gotten in Reader's Digest, on MSN, Realtor. There's, there's been a lot of really huge wins lately. That's what I do for a living. And a couple weeks ago, we had a week that actually had 17 wins come to fruition in one week, which never happens. Normally, it's you know one or two a week trickle in and then you might have a slow week or two. But that is what I get out of bed to do every morning is to help get clients that exposure and you know get them those little rites of passages in Forbes.
0: Oh, it sounds amazing. Like, my goodness, what a fun way to spend your day. (laughs) So, okay, most of our listeners probably wouldn't maybe be big enough or have a company big enough or a budget big enough to hire a publicist or a full-time publicist. So can you give any advice on what maybe they could do sort of DIY style to get some coverage for their business?
1: Absolutely. So the biggest thing everyone needs to realize about PR is that you don't need to hire a publicist. Yes, if you have a publicist, you're going to leverage their relationships and their experience, but it's something anyone can teach themselves to do. Case in point, and I mentioned this earlier, I don't have a PR degree and I get my clients into you know GQ and New York Times and places like that. The thing you need is that determination that, okay, I'm going to set an hour aside, and it might only be an hour a week that you have to dedicate to trying to get some PR coverage. And if that's all you have, that's still better than nothing. And saying, I'm going to start and take an hour a week, and I'm going to dedicate that to PR. Put it in your calendar, block it, and each week, go back to that hour, get some pitches out there, get to know writers, do a little something to move the needle forward. And that's really all it takes.
0: Oh my goodness, an hour a week. Well, that sounds pretty doable. So what are the specific things that maybe a business owner or maybe a small team could be doing like day to day within that hour per week to get closer to getting some PR coverage?
1: Yeah. So when it comes to that, I have, you know, my three tried, tested and true steps to doing this each week. The first is always be pitching. It's scary. I've had a lot of pitches completely backfire. I've had journalists be mean to me before. It's not the easiest thing ever. But once you can get over that fear of sending your first pitch, sending your second pitch and getting into a habit of pitching every week, it gets a lot easier and it's less scary. And you won't take it as personally when someone says no. But start by sending at least one pitch a week. Take one day a week and maybe that's your whole hour right there. Maybe you spend your whole hour writing the perfect pitch and hitting send on it. But maybe once you send that first one, you start to get a little bit better. So maybe you can write a pitch in 20 minutes. So on Monday, you send a pitch. And on Wednesday, you send a pitch. And you just start building upon that. And when you realize how much easier it becomes once you do it more often, you might actually find you want to increase that hour you've set aside to be a little bit bigger or a little bit more to do more pitching. So the biggest thing I say is, if you're going to do this, just try to limit your pitches to Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays. Avoid Fridays because Fridays, everyone's just trying to get everything done to go home to their family and friends for the weekend. Most pitches will fall flat on a Friday. So keep them for Monday through Thursday and always try to make sure they're sent before three o'clock in the afternoon because no one wants to send a pitch at supper time when a journalist
0: is trying to get out of the office. Totally. So... I feel like some of our listeners might be thinking, okay, that sounds good. I can devote some time each week to doing this. But what exactly does a pitch look like? Is that an email? Is it by Facebook?
1: Yeah, that's true. That's a really great question. So when I say a pitch, I typically mean an email. Back in the day, we used to call media. Most media do not want you to call them. There are some old school traditional exceptions to the rule. I've talked to radio stations before and TV stations over the phone. But for the most part, it's an email. So it's something that you sit down and write. You find a writer, a journalist, an editor, a producer, whoever the contact person is at that outlet. And you send them a one-on-one pitch that's personalized to them explaining why you want to get covered, what you would like to achieve by working with them. So it could be just saying, hey, I'm a doctor and these are my areas of expertise. Next time you're writing a story on say multivitamins, I would love to weigh in on that. Maybe it's that you work in e-commerce, so you're reaching out to an e-commerce writer and saying, listen, I run a six-figure e-commerce business on Shopify. If you're doing any articles on ways to succeed and grow your business on Shopify, I would love to weigh in on that. So that sometimes can be as easy as that. Sometimes it's telling that writer what you do for a living, why your company's cool, what your hook is that you just raised, you know, $7 million, those different things. There's so many different stories and, and really dialogues that you can pitch to these outlets that you really shouldn't be running out of things to pitch.
0: I love it. Okay. I have two follow on questions for this one. The first one is how do I find who I'm going to send the pitch to?
1: Right. So that takes a little bit of detective work, but it's not too tricky. Typically, what you would do is you would start by identifying what your outlet is. So in, for all intents and purposes, let's use Forbes. You want to get your company into the pages of Forbes. So you would go to Forbes' website or you would pick up their magazine at local bookstore or wherever they're selling magazines these days. And you would take a look at what other articles are being written. So look at what industry you're in and then find what writers are covering that, what we in the industry call the beat. So let's say you want to pitch your female entrepreneurship story look to see Forbes has a section called Forbes women find writers who write for that column and talk about women's success stories. From there, once you figure out one or two writers that cover that beat, then you just have to track down their email address, which can be easier said than done. If they work for Forbes, they probably have a staff email. Oftentimes, it's just the first initial of their first name and then their last name at Forbes.com. But Forbes has a lot of contributing writers now. And so you might actually have to do a little Google, find their website. Most of them, if they're a freelance writer, do have their email on the website because they want more writing work. Sometimes it's in their Twitter bio. So there's little things you can do to get clever to track down their email address. Or just Google their name. What's their email address will sometimes work too.
0: I used to feel like I lived in a perpetual groundhog day. Every Sunday, I would need to sit down and take time to think about what I would cook for the week, make a list of what groceries I would need to buy, and then go spend hours at the grocery store collecting the ingredients, sometimes needing to visit two or three places to find everything I needed. And still, we felt like we were eating the same meals over and over. Enter HelloFresh. The meals are pre-planned, the groceries are gathered, and everything I need to prepare delicious meals for my family is dropped off at my door once per week. We are discovering new delicious recipes every week. I am getting the hours of meal prep time back. There is no food waste. And best of all, every meal can be prepared in just 30 minutes. Visit kellylawson.ca HelloFresh to check out some of my favorite meals and save $40 on your first box that's kellylawson.ca slash hellofresh so I'm guessing that it's probably not very common that you would get maybe a response like right out of the gate so what do you do in that case do you just continue to send pitches to the same person over and over until you get a response or, or what do you do? So
1: I typically recommend waiting three to five business days before you follow up, give them Mm -hmm. a chance to find the email. Oftentimes, you will have to send a follow up very rarely, unless the stars absolutely aligned, will you get a response right away on the first email. So always send a follow up email, usually, again, three to five business days later, just send them a quick nudge. But if you can add a little something, something to that email that helps too. instead of just saying, Hey, so and so I was wondering if you read my email. Can't wait to hear from you. You could put something like, I forgot to mention, you know, did you know that we just won this exciting award last week? Did I mention that we just raised some funding? Find a little nugget that you left out of the first email to put in that second email just to give it a little extra something. From there, you have two options. You can just call it quits after that one. I like to sometimes still send a third follow up pitch that's very basic and very, you know, this is the last time I'm going to reach out. I just wanted to double check that you, you know, aren't interested in this. And those will sometimes actually steal the deal. I've had a lot of success with that third follow up. And oftentimes, it's a matter of I'm so sorry, this, you know, I meant to respond to you, but I got busy, I got distracted. Always make sure you're waiting at least three to five business days between those emails. And don't be pitching their co workers while you're waiting. That's the biggest faux pas because journalists talk And it's not so much the proverbial water cooler as much anymore as they could be in a Slack channel together. They could be in a pitch meeting with the same editor. So if you have one writer that's saying, I got pitched this story. And then another writer's like, that girl reached out to me too can be really bad and make everyone look bad. So just try to stick with the same writer. If you don't hear anything back from them after that third pitch, after say three or four days, it's safe bet you can move on to someone else.
0: Okay, that's good to know. I would not have ever known that because it's a whole other world. What about if you're pitching competing publications? Is it okay to do that?
1: Yeah, as long as you're not offering an exclusive to anyone. So an exclusive is when you give that publication the right to break the news at a certain day and time. So if you're offering one outlet an exclusive, it's really bad practice to go and say to their, you know, their competitor or any other outlet, hey, I'd also like to give you an exclusive because you might have two publications both write you back and say, I'll take it. And then you've got that awkward, well, this one wrote me back first, but now I have to go tell this other one that they can't have the exclusive anymore. And it just, no one's happy from that. So my advice there is if you are thinking about offering an exclusive, which most people in this day and age don't do anymore anyway, but if you were thinking about it, start your outreach early enough in advance of your launch that you can send each email with enough time in between to make sure that you're not having any overlap.
0: Okay, so you're going to want to reverse engineer it a little bit yeah I love it okay so always be pitching any other tips for people who are going to DIY this
1: yeah so my second tip that I always swear by is to spend anywhere from 5 10 15 minutes a day hanging out on Twitter now there's a lot of people whenever I say this that think Twitter's dead they're not on Twitter if you are trying to get in the media you should be hanging out on Twitter and here's why most journalists and media are still quite active on there. They're often looking for sources on there. I often see writers and journalists saying, Here, I'm working on this story. Does anyone know someone who can weigh in or who has experience? But it's a great way to, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, suck up to the media. What you can do is if you see a journalist, so for instance, if I had a dollar for every time a journalist has posted a photo of her cat that I've commented and said something about, you know, how my cat does that too not even going to lie, I've probably pretended I've had pets before, like turtles and (laughs) sloths. I mean, I really wanted turtles. So that might be part of my manifesting thing I talked about earlier, but find ways to interact with them. Maybe it's like, I had this client once upon a time I worked with the ladies at uh, Rent Frock Repeat in Toronto. And their big wish was that they wanted to be on News Talk 1010 in Toronto. So how I made it happen was I saw that one of the producers who covered a lot of female entrepreneurship angles was a huge SNL fan. So I stayed up late on a Saturday night to watch an SNL episode. And then the next morning, I saw her tweeting about it. So I kind of engaged and said, Oh, my gosh, that scene was so funny. And so and so was hilarious. And we got chatting back and forth. And then after a couple of days, I sent her a tweet. And I said, Hey, by the way, while I have you, I noticed your producer for News Talk 1010, I actually have an idea that I would love to reach out to you about. And literally, I think two months later, that client got that exact interview that they wanted. It was huge for them. And so I used something as simple as watching Saturday Night Live to engage with her. So that's, Any of us can do that. Journalists are people too. They're going to be talking about stuff not related to work. So hang out on Twitter. Add some of the ones that you'd love to get in touch with to a list and just kind of see what they're talking about and get to know them and be friends with them. They're not necessarily going to follow you back, but at least you become a blip on their radar. They recognize your name when it ends up in their inbox. And, you know, if you get to a point where you're comfortable, you can send them a DM and say, hey, I'd love to pitch you a story, you know, what's the best email to reach you at, and they could actually invite you to pitch them.
0: Oh my goodness. I love that. It's so brilliant. So when you first said about Twitter, I thought my husband is going to love that you said that because he's a Twitter guy and I need to get on the Twitters. I have not, (laughs) I am not on my Twitter game. Let me just say, but I think it's also equally, if not more about building that trust and relationship and becoming a familiar name to these people. And I love that part. That's brilliant. I love it. Okay. What is your third tip? So
1: my third and final tip that you can do as part of your hour of PR every week is to then spend some time on the outlets that you want to be covered on actually reading the content and seeing who's writing the content. So all too often we say, I want to be on Forbes. And you've never actually picked up Forbes. You've never gone to the Forbes website. Actually read these publications that you want to be covered on to see what kind of content they're writing, to see who's covering what topics? And that way, there you're actually going to, to your question earlier, find the people you should be pitching your story to. So if you spend, you know, it can be anywhere from five to 10 minutes, just go to some of the outlets Forbes, FASCO, New York Times, Refinery 29, Women's Health, Cosmopolitan, whatever outlet it might be, read some of the articles. And then to take it a step further and tie it into point number two, if you find an article that you love by a writer who would be perfect for you to pitch, Take the article, share it on Twitter, and tag that writer if they're on Twitter. Take the 15, 20 seconds it takes to look them up, find out their Twitter handle. Because oftentimes when you click on that tweet this box on websites, it'll include the media outlet, but very few of them will actually include the author of the article. So if you take the time to add their name, you've just won a whole bunch of brownie points with them, and then they'll really appreciate that. And so then when you go to pitch them in a week or two later oftentimes it's like, oh, I know her. She's the one that tweeted my article and said that she loved it. So that's that's the third one. And that's a great thing to do on Friday because I said earlier, Fridays are bad pitch days. So spend your Fridays engaging on Twitter, checking out some articles, looking at outlets and finding what your approach is going to be for the following week.
0: Oh, I love it. It's so strategic. And I love just geeking out on strategy. And that was a very juicy tip. I love that. (laughs) So I'm guessing that some of these journalists... Get pretty loaded inboxes. They're probably getting pitched quite a bit. So, what advice do you have for being able to stand out a little bit in that sea of pitches that's probably landing in their inboxes on Monday morning?
1: Right. So subject line goes so far. Make sure you have a compelling subject line. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, those are one of the first things I work on with clients. We'll look at all of their successes, their stories, and we'll come up with really good hooks. That's what I like to call them. And that is ultimately a subject line. Sometimes if it's an outlet that's a little bit funner and more playful, I'll add an emoji just to be a little different because I don't think everyone pitches with an emoji. If you want to do an exclusive and you put exclusive in that subject line, that's definitely going to catch. Someone's attention if they're looking for a juicy tip and they're scrolling through their inbox and they see exclusive in-Cat blocks. But so the subject line is one thing. Two, if you're doing your smart PR habits and you know engaging with them on Twitter, they might recognize your name from being a blip on their social media. So that will help if they're sifting through. Third, if they do open your email and now you've made it because they've opened your email, but you're up against every other pitch they've received that day it's really, again, comes down to having that compelling hook. Everyone's launching a company. Everyone's raising funding. What makes you different? And that often takes a little bit of self-reflection of where you came from, what your story is. People don't want to write about products. They want to write about people. But all too often, people just pitch the product, pitch the new feature, pitch whatever they're launching. Talk about the story behind it. Are you a woman who... you know? you were bankrupt and you were living on your friend's couch in New York City and doing everything you could possibly do to bring this company to life and someone took a chance on you and you made it happen and now you're empowering other women these kinds of stories people love that so zoom in on that story that makes you unique and not necessarily your product that might be already a saturated market if that makes sense.
0: Have you guys seen my new website? It's pretty gorgeous. And if I know you, you're probably feeling like your website isn't as good as you'd like it to be and you're struggling a little to find the perfect solution. Well, my friend, I have some advice for you. Get a Tonic site. Until I discovered Tonic, I was on that struggle bus too. And my Tonic site has forever changed the way I show up online and in my business. Tonic sites are completely customizable. They're code free and built with all the best marketing marketing strategies in mind. It's time for you to have a site that looks just as good and probably even better than others in your industry so you can finally stand out in a way that's perfectly unique to you. And today, I'm giving you that extra little nudge that I think you've been waiting for. Save 15%. That's up to $200 on your new site. Just go to kellylawson.ca slash site to find your perfect site and use the code kellylawson to save 15% on your gorgeous new site today. I have a bit of a more general question now, because I'm thinking that people are probably listening to this and they're thinking like, ooh, like, okay, these are good tips. Okay, okay, okay. But how does a business owner or a marketing team in a business or whatever, a small business owner know that they should maybe be seeking PR coverage?
1: Really, I like to think that everyone is worthy of PR coverage in some shape or form. I think what it comes down to is deciding what that story you're going to share with the media might be. So oftentimes, if you're selling something, an outlet will ask, are you profitable yet? A lot of startups who are bootstrapped or you know even going through funding might not be what we consider, quote unquote, profitable yet. So they need to come up with something else that's compelling. Oftentimes, companies might not have a product yet to sell, but they might have the idea. Well, there's going to be a lot of journalists that are going to say, we need a product to actually be able to cover. We went through an era where Kickstarters were huge and you know, tech outlets used to jump at the first Kickstarter that came their way. But then it got to a point that they realized their readers didn't want to read about a product they were only going to be able to buy in six months. They wanted to read about something they could buy that day. Mm-hmm. So... You have to really make sure that if you're reaching out to an outlet and you're selling something, you can show traction, you can show sales, you can show downloads, things like that. If you don't, then you have to go a little bit more grassroots and figure out what your story is. Maybe focus on that. So you might not be selling something yet, but you might have this crazy, awesome story about how your company came to be. It's just a matter of figuring out what to the point earlier, maybe even doing a little A-B testing, what's going to stick with the media. And you might need to try a few different things. Maybe your story won't work, but you know, maybe your team is where the story is. Maybe one of your team members, just that one person has an incredible story and you can share that. There's always something that you can share with the media that's going to pique their interest. And at the very least, if you're an intelligent human being, you can be an expert source. So, you know, maybe your company isn't ready for media coverage yet, but you can weigh in on entrepreneurship. You can weigh in on running a remote team, different things like that. If you really, you know, scratch the surface, there's stuff buried underneath that you can definitely turn into a PR pitch.
0: I love it so much. Okay. Okay. I have a couple of questions. The one question that's kind of standing out to me right now is what is the potential kickbacks of getting coverage? Like, let's say, let's say you get covered in Forbes magazine because that sounds like it's, you know, like a pretty enormous win for a client. What are the kickbacks? What are the benefits that happen after that type of coverage or potential? That yes. After?
1: So I like to be very transparent in that oftentimes there's this idea that if you get this massive media win, your website's going to crash, your sales are going to go through the roof. That's not always the case. And I'm not going to sit here and lie to anyone and say that it is. But what you do get is major bragging rights. So as I mentioned earlier, if you're now covered in Forbes, let's say you're trying to get funding. You show that article to potential investors and say, hey, we were covered in Forbes. That's leverage. If you have sales emails and you know, you're know you pitching people who are going to know what Forbes is, saying, hey, check us out in Forbes. Isn't this cool? More leverage. Adding that logo to your website. Leverage. All of these things build credibility to make you a little more brag-worthy. And ultimately, you might get a ton of customers from it. Your website might crash. I've seen both happen before. But more realistically, it's going to give you that little extra leverage when selling, when, you know, trying to get customers.
0: Okay. And so what motivates your clients to hire you as their publicist? What is it? Do they have like an end goal in mind when they do that?
1: Really, oftentimes, it's a matter of getting more awareness, getting more traction. Oftentimes, a lot of the small businesses I work with are looking to get funding. They're talking to investors. So each time they get a new big piece of media coverage that they can share that's flashy and shiny, that helps extend the conversation. Also with sales, I've had a lot of clients put their media coverage in sales emails, just as that little extra, especially if they're doing a sales follow-up email, it's great because if they've sent the first sales email, and then they're sending the second one. And remember, I mentioned adding that little nugget and a follow-up that makes it less of just a, hey, just following up. You know, it can be, hey, I wanted to follow up on that email I sent. Also, hey, check us out in Forbes. We're really excited about this feature. So oftentimes it's that. And other times it's just clients. Everyone kind of loves being (laughs) famous. Not everyone. But there is that certain level of saying, we have a publicist. We're big enough to have a publicist. We got into all of these publications. We fancy now. And it's just human nature to kind of love that feeling.
0: We fancy now. Love (laughs) that. (laughs) It is no secret at all that I love to shop. When I find something I love, I buy it in every color and I live in it. Generally speaking, I dress for casual style and comfort, but I also invest in pieces that go with everything else in my closet. I guess I'm a lover of leverageability in all areas of life. I get asked a lot where I got my clothing items and I try to tag these products as I post them online. But for those of you that want to get a better look at what I'm adding to my capsule each season, head to kellylawson.ca slash mystyle. I'll add the latest and greatest fashion items as I find them and link to the best deals I can find. So make sure you check in regularly and happy shopping, Workshop Warriors. Okay, so (laughs) wrapping up. I want to know, what is like one thing that listeners can do when they're all finished listening here? What's the one action that they can take today to move the needle toward getting that magical, dreamy, make you famous, we famous now, PR coverage?
1: (laughs) Just go send a pitch. And I know it's going to be scary. And I know your finger's going to hover over that send button. You're probably going to spend a couple days sweating it out before you actually send it but just send it. And if that seems too overwhelming, the next best thing would be to just put a plan in place to send a pitch. So maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, I've always wanted to be in, I'm just going to use an example, Chatelaine magazine for us Canadian girls. Mm -hmm. I got a client in Chatelaine last year and there was no cooler feeling than when I was in my doctor's office. Chatelaine is such a doctor's office magazine and I saw the copy and I'm just sitting there and flipping through. And I was like, oh yeah, there's my client. No one else in the doctor's office cared, but I was really excited. So if that's your dream, if you're sitting here and thinking and listening to this, you're like, man, there's that outlet that that would be pretty cool. And mom and dad would be really proud. Just put on a post-it, write that outlet down and make a promise to yourself that you are going to pitch it. Start doing the work, check it out, see who would be the perfect person to pitch you know, take a couple days, then draft the email. It might take you a whole month before you send the pitch, but just make that promise to yourself that you are going to send one. And it might bounce back. It might not work. They might say no, but at least you did it. And once you've sent one, you can send more. And those other ones will build the momentum to giving you all that dreamy coverage.
0: I love it. So on that note, I know that you just recently launched a beautiful new website. And I know as part of that beautiful new website launch, you've put a freebie into the world that is your first pitch template. So can you tell listeners how they can find that?
1: Yes. So if you go to crystalrichard.com, and I'm sure Kelly will link that up because I know there's a million different ways to spell crystal. And if you're not French, sometimes Richard is confusing. Go to crystalrichard.com and right on the homepage, there is a photo of me sitting on a helipad with a like lighthouse in the background which doesn't get more on brand than that that kelly took (laughs) and you can you can put your email in and that whole template will take you through an entire sequence where i'm essentially walking you through doing exactly what i just told you you should all go do um start to finish to help get you excited about sending your first pitch and help you make it happen
0: We will 100% link that into the show notes, as well as other ways to find you on social media and on Instagram and to your other amazing businesses and brands that we talked about earlier. Crystal, thank you so much for sitting here and chatting with me and giving us all of your beautiful expertise. And like I said, you're just a ray of sunshine. This like 45 minutes just flew by. I don't even know where the time just went. Yeah. That's crazy. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Pleasure is mine. Bye. Bye. You guys, this episode was pure gold, was it not? So many juicy strategic nuggets to finding your way to dreamy, credit-building, customer-based building, customer base building fame inducing PR coverage. Like, if you ever dreamed about seeing your face in a magazine, well, now you have the tools to do it yourself. I know I'm pretty excited at the thought of seeing your beautiful face smiling back at me the next time I grab my copy of Forbes or Huffington Post. Don't forget to grab your free workbook so that you can fill in the blanks and get that much closer to landing your next big media splash by visiting the show notes at kellylawson.ca slash 002. And if you're loving these shows, please consider sharing it with your friends and consider leaving a review on iTunes. These two actions are immensely helpful in ensuring that I can continue to bring this content to your earbuds each and every week. Until next week, Workshop Warriors, please keep bringing the world your specialness. There is only one of you and I just love it when you show up confidently and with your full potential. Until next week, bye for now.